and our sermon series through the Gospel of Matthew comes flying out of the gate with a riveting genealogy, doesn't it? Um, yeah, you know, they say that in, in public speaking, in persuasive writing, if you don't catch people's attention in the first 30 seconds, you know, the first paragraph, then you've lost them. Are you guys here with me this morning? Uh, you know, I'm not sure anybody told Matthew. Um, or perhaps someone did. You know, it's, uh, as we look at this passage today that we've read through, it's easy to see a list of names that are hard to pronounce. Uh, somebody at the early service came up to me after church. They're, they're a bit of a fisherman themselves. And they said, you did a good job, but you pronounced one of the names wrong. They said, it's, uh, it's pronounced Salmon. <laughs> okay, said, so, touche, you're going to make it into next sermon, so be careful. Um, you see, for us, we see a list of names. And yet for the original audience of the Gospel of Matthew, they would have gotten to the end of verse 17 and been sitting on the edge of their seat. They would have been thinking to themselves, I need to know what's next. Because the original audience of the Gospel of Matthew, they were, they were a first century Jewish audience. They were steeped in the stories of the Old Testament. They knew them backwards and forwards. And so as they read through this list of names, it wasn't just names to them. It was a history. It was stories. It was the greatest triumphs and the greatest failures of their people throughout history on full display, and at the end of it, the answer to their prayers, their hopes fulfilled. The generations and generations and generations of praying and longing and waiting for deliverance, for a king, for a Messiah, they were over. Because what they found in this story, born in a backwater town to a poor family and laid in a manger, was the son of David, the son of Abraham, the Messiah. And as this first audience gathered together, they would hear this scroll of Matthew read out loud. And what they would have heard as it unfolded was the greatest story, the greatest true story ever told. And that's the story we're going to be looking at over the next seven weeks as we journey through this Gospel of Matthew. And we're using Matthew as a tour guide, not just through the life of Jesus, where we'll explore his teachings and his actions, his miracles, the things he did and said, and why they mattered then and why they still matter today, but also as a tour guide through this great history of God's faithfulness that reaches back all the way to the beginning. You see, Matthew puts the story of God's faithfulness on full display as he shows us how Jesus is the culmination and fulfillment of what God has been up to since the very beginning of creation. 
working on behalf of his people and through his people to show his love, grace, justice, and mercy. And in today's story, today's genealogy, we see the story begin to unfold. Matthew lays the groundwork for the story of Jesus the Messiah by looking back into his lineage in the Old Testament. So as we explore the text today, my hope is that we might see right here today a little bit more of what that original audience of Jesus saw in this text. I have to be honest with you. I'm going to go full Bible, Old Testament nerd today. But I think it's going to be worth it. So let's get into the genealogy of Jesus. It starts with Abraham. And in the Old Testament, Abraham is where God begins to set apart a people for himself. That he would show his love to and that he would accomplish his will through. And so God comes to Abraham, who's Abram at the time, in Genesis chapter 12. And in Genesis chapter 12, he makes a promise. He makes a promise to Abram. And here's what he says. He says, go to the land that I'm leading you to, and here's what I'm going to do. And for one, I'll I'll lead you there. I'll give it to you. I will bless you, and I will make you a blessing to others. You will be a nation that is bigger than the stars in the sky. It outnumbers the stars in the sky. I will bless you, And anybody who blesses you, I will bless. If anybody stands against you, if anyone curses you, I will curse them. I will bless you, and because of that blessing, the whole world will be blessed through you. You see, when God comes to Abram, he doesn't do so with a list of demands. Abram, do this and do this and do this, and then I will love you. He says, do this and do this and do this, and then I will bless you. That is not what God does. He says, I will bless you. I will. I will. All you need to do is trust me. And in Genesis 15, in our text today, God confirms his promise with Abram in dramatic fashion. You know, in verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 6, or verse, yeah, verse 6, the text says, Abram believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, Genesis 15, 6. And what it doesn't say is Abraham followed all the rules, lived a perfect life, and God credited that to him as righteousness. He says, no, he trusted in the promise that God made. And because of that, he was righteous, right before God. This is interesting to me. Because I've often heard from Christians uh, that they have a hard time with the Old Testament. When they read it, they tend to see law. They tend to see legalism. And then you go to the New Testament and you see grace and love. And it's nice to be there. And then you journey a little bit into the Old Testament. You're like, all right, I feel like I'm not in my neighborhood anymore. You like the Jesus in the New Testament. He's loving He's gracious and he's forgiving. And you look in the Old Testament and there seems to be a disconnect. They look for grace and all they find is legalism. 
They look for love and they find judgment. And maybe that's been part of your experience too. And one of the things that we hope for as we go through this series in the Gospel of Matthew is that the Holy Spirit would open up our hearts and our eyes to see that the good news of the gospel of God's love and grace can be found on every single page of the Bible. And so you see, there's something incredible about the Old Testament that I don't think we always think of, or maybe you never even realized it before. You know, God started setting his people apart with this promise to Abram, and it was over 400 years before God gave a law. It was 400, more than 400 years later at Mount Sinai that God gives the law. But for hundreds of years before that, God's people were the people of a promise. Before he gave his law, he gave you his promise. And it was a stunning promise, really. We heard about it in our Old Testament reading in Genesis 15 today. And perhaps you heard that reading today uh, and thought to yourself, I'm not sure I get it. <laughs> this is a bit of an odd story. You know, there's animals and a fire pot. What is going on here? And you see, in the culture of the Old Testament times, one of the ways that you would make a covenant with someone else. And this was mostly done when a covenant or a promise involved the transfer of land from one party to another. Kind of like the promise God made. I'm going to take you out of the land of your father and lead you into a promised land. The way you would make a covenant like this is you would take animals, you'd kill them and you'd cut them in half and you'd set them into two rows side by side and the parties who were making a promise a commitment, a covenant to one another they would walk from one side and the other they would meet in the middle with these pieces on one side and the other of them they would state the promise they were making this is what I will do for you. They would state it to one another, and right there in the middle of those pieces, they would commit to faithfulness to that promise. And the symbolism there is that making this promise costs me something. It costs me this animal and this animal here. But also, may I be torn apart like these animals that we stand in between today if I am not faithful to the promise that we are making. You see, in Hebrew, we, we translate this as make a covenant. The Lord made a covenant. Literally in Hebrew, the, the figure of speech is to cut a covenant. You see why? This was not an uncommon thing that we see in our scripture reading today, even if it's not common to us. But there was something uncommon about it. Only one party walked through the pieces, not two. It was God who passed through the middle of those pieces 
as if to say, Abram, I will not ask you to walk through because I know you will not be faithful to this promise today. You will tell me that you will do it and then you will fail. And so I am not going to demand of you that you be perfect. What I'm going to do is I will pass through those pieces myself and I will say that it doesn't matter if you are perfect or not because the promise does not depend on that. What it depends on is my commitment to be faithful and to love you. That's the promise that God founds his people on. That you and I, even today, that we would not be perfect, but God's plan was never based on us being perfect. It was always based on God's promise. And that's good news for us. And you see, the genealogy of Jesus, it puts this on full display. Because what you don't see as you read through this long list of names, and Sam, aren't you glad you didn't have that reading today? (laughs) What you don't see is a spotless lineage of perfect people. What you see is that we have a God who can draw straight lines with crooked sticks. And that's good news for you and I today. That God can work in and through a sinner like me, like us, to work out a perfect plan that is far better than we could. Not because we're worthy, because we're so good, but because he is and he is always faithful to his promise. You see, that original audience of the Gospel of Matthew, they would have read this genealogy and they would have seen in the highlights and the lowlights of their history that God is faithful, that he works in and through broken and imperfect people to accomplish a perfect and beautiful plan. That they would have seen the heroes of their faith, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Ruth, even Rahab. And they would have seen that even in those heroes, they were broken and sinful and in need of grace and forgiveness. Not one of them was perfect. They would have seen tragic figures like Solomon, a king who started with so much faith, so much promise, and devolved into idolatry that split God's people in two. And they would have seen names like Jehoram, Ahaz, Manasseh, or Ammon. And they would have seen a list of kings who did evil in the sight of the Lord. And yet God's perfect plan was not derailed by the imperfection of man. You see, the genealogy of Jesus teaches us that you can never be so good as to earn the love and the grace of God. Luckily, you don't have to. It also teaches us that you can't be so far gone that God could not redeem your life. 
above all, in all of these stories, in every single one of them, it's a story of God's grace. Of a God who is loving and faithful, who is always faithful to you. And there are stories that point to Jesus. Because Jesus is the culmination and fulfillment of a long history of God's unrelenting and unstoppable grace. That there is a God who never stops pursuing and never stops choosing his people. Who never stops loving, never stops working. And he still hasn't. Because that story includes you. It includes me. Us. You see, the story doesn't stop at Jesus. Rather, through Jesus, that story of God's faithfulness becomes your story. And it doesn't matter where your story has taken you. You see, because Jesus died on the cross, you are forgiven. His story becomes your story. Because Jesus rose from the dead, you can have new life and eternal life through him. So you might feel like you're broken, like you're messed up, like you have these things inside that you hide from other people because if they knew, then how would they love you? How could good happen in your life if people knew what you were really like? I feel like that sometimes. And the reassurance of our God is that we don't have to worry because it doesn't and it has never depended on that. It's the amazing thing about the story of God, isn't it? That it's never depended on that. And it's the hope that the God who can work through messy, sinful, imperfect people like us, like those in the genealogy of Jesus, that that God is the same yesterday and today and forever. And that that promise that God made back then, every promise that God has made, It was good then, and it's good for you now. I want you to hear this word today from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20, or verse 20. It says this, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Amen? You see, the genealogy of Jesus isn't just a list of names. It's a set of stories that God, by his faithfulness and by his grace, is putting together like puzzle pieces to show this world a beautiful picture of a God who loves them with an unfailing, never-quitting love. And each one of these stories is a piece to the puzzle. And so is yours. And we'll see as we work our way through this series in the Gospel of Matthew is that God's great love for his people, in this love, that these individual stories matter. And so does yours. Because they are stories of God's faithfulness.
So their stories, our stories, they're stories that matter because they tell the story of God's unrelenting, never-ending, for-you love revealed to us in his son, Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, the Messiah. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you choose us, that you make your promises and they're good. And you did so God, unfathomably, you did so knowing that we would fail. And yet you love us without fail. And so, Lord, we pray that as we journey through this gospel of Matthew in these upcoming weeks, that you would open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to see the great love that you have for us and for all people through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please stand as we continue our worship.